Well, tonight we are going to continue our series on the nine marks of a healthy church. We're going to be talking about leadership. We'll get there in a moment. This actually is our last lesson on this topic. Hopefully, you have been learning, you have been considering, does our church practice these things? You've been thinking about that college one day that you want to go to, and you've thought about, is there a church there that exhibits these characteristics, and you're evaluating your commitment to expository preaching, and you're understanding why we do church discipline, and all of those wonderful things. This Sunday, uh, the seniors are with me. We're going to be in the South Building. It's Senior Sunday, and we're going to talk about what your senior year should look like, and a big part of that is a lot of you are still trying to decide where to go to school. Well, unfortunately, it's, it's backwards a lot of times. It's upside down. You forget about the church. You want to go where you get the most scholarship money or the most academic money. You want to go where maybe it's the prettiest or whatever. And then you figure you're just going to get there and it's all going to work out. College, you're on your own. Mommy's not there to poke and prod you and wake you up and get you there. Your teachers are going to be antagonistic to the gospel. They're going to make fun of you for believing in a literal six-day creation. Right? If you think your school now or a public school now is difficult, wait till you get to the breeding ground of ignorance that is higher academics. You, you need a church. You need a church. And so a help helpful thing to do is to go on the nine marks website and you can start to identify and narrow down and you can go ahead and start looking at a good church which should help you in your decision making all right help you in your decision making um, after tonight we have a couple of kind of uh, special lessons uh, next Wednesday Lord willing Loisia uh, our one of our missionaries in Europe is going to be here and he's going to give you a missionary update the following Sunday is actually Missionary Sunday, and we were going to meet. And then they asked us not to meet so they could use the gym. So we're not going to meet on that Sunday. And then, Lord willing, the first Sunday in September, we're going to start our new study on 1 Corinthians. When it comes to leadership, let's first define what we are talking about. Define what we are talking about. We are not necessarily talking about your Sunday school leader or your youth leader we are talking about the leadership structure of the entire church, but obviously that trickles down to the other types of leadership that we know. The Nine Marks website says, The Bible teaches that each local church should be led by, by a plurality of godly qualified men called elders. And uh, if you, just quick show of hands, how many of you have been at Countryside your whole life? Yeah, a good chunk of you, right? So some of you have never experienced anything other than this. Some of you might have been young and you're at a different church and you didn't even know that this was an issue, right? You read it all the time. It's all over the Bible. But there are a number of churches that don't believe and elders. They don't believe in an elder board, and there's different types of church government. But clearly, when you look at the scriptures, teaches a plurality of godly qualified elders. 
And when it says each local church, remember there is the universal church, which is all Christians across the globe. But each of us should belong to a local church. And some will make the argument, okay, well, you, you belong to countryside, but I belong to all believers. Well, well, we do belong to all believers, but you also should have a local church. You see that emphasis throughout the book of Acts, um, throughout, you know, the book of Ephesians and Corinthians and obviously Titus and things like that. A local church should be led, should be led. Not um, some dictatorial rule, uh, not some wishy-washy, what do you guys think, but should be shepherded, should be taught and exhorted and brought along. And it should be with a plurality, okay, a plurality. That means multiple. Um, you can imagine the disaster that might happen if one person was in charge of the entire church. What would the, even if that person had, you know, the best of intentions, there would be temptations to lead in a certain way that fulfills your own selfish desires. Sometimes we do things that are selfish and we don't even realize that they're selfish. Uh, plurality, there's a, a network of wisdom, all right? With our elders, we have uh, a great group of men. And when we sit down, we might come up to a question and we all might have a little bit different answer. And as we study the scripture and as we talk through it, we'll go, ah, I never thought of that before. So it's, it's helpful. It's, it's a safeguard to us, but it's also a resource. It's a benefit to one another, but a plurality. Godly qualified men. And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. And this is obviously a hotter topic today than in past years. Uh, you have certain churches that are allowing women pastors and women's leadership, but we'll get to the godly qualified part, but let's just start with the simple man aspect of things, which if I asked you the question, what is a man? I think you can under, you can answer it, unlike certain political figures. First Timothy 2, 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. And you're all thinking, man, can I take this braid out before the end of this lesson? It's, it's, it's a, some of this is a cultural thing. And there is a certain association that went along with this type of, of dress. Okay? It says, but, ma uh, but mather, sorry, rather by means of good works is this proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must receive quiet, uh, quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And it's talking about the context of the church. The context of the church. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why? It's not that men are smarter. It's not that men are better. It's that God has established different roles for us. And we don't want to kick against the goads or kick against the grain of what our Creator has made us to do. Some would say that this is archaic, that this is outdated. One of the, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to you guys before that I, I went to Baylor, <laughs> sorry, um, and I would drive around every weekend looking for a different church, and maybe there's a great church in Waco now. I know there's a good one in Temple, but I, I never found one. And there was one that I kind of liked. And uh, 
this topic came up. And the guy teaching was like, look, clearly this doesn't apply today. This was back then. And I was like, why? He loved me. He loved me. There's actually a qualifier here. It says, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So the foundation for this isn't rooted in the culture. It's rooted in creation. It says it was, Adam, it was uh, Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. The, the roles are different. It's not one is better than the other. It's just simply different. And when we go to the qualifications of an elder, there's not even any wiggle room for it to be a woman in this type of role, this type of leadership. Well, where is it in the Bible? That's always important. I don't want to just tell you my thoughts. I want you to go to the scriptures and I want you to understand those passages. And these might be helpful ones to jot, uh, jot down for you to remember later on. The first one would be the book of Exodus. So let's go ahead and flip all the way to Exodus 18. And you might say, well, Justin, I'm pretty sure the church wasn't around back then. And you'd be right. God was delivering the nation of Israel and establishing the nation of Israel. Moses was the leader. And his father-in-law came to visit him. It says in verse 8, 13, it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire of God when they have a dispute. It comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. So is this a bad thing that Moses is doing? No. He loves the people. He clearly has a great relationship with God. He represents God, and so he speaks judgments to the people. Well, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now, keep in mind, estimates are a million people is what he's working with. All right, you can't do this alone. Verse 19, now listen to me, and that's what every son-in-law wants to hear from his father-in-law. Now listen to me. Moses humbles himself, and he listens to wise counsel. Says, um, I will give you counsel and, be, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. And then teach them the statutes and the laws and make them uh, known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. So Moses, why don't you do this? Faithfully teach God's word, teach his truth to the people so that they know and they can understand for themselves, but also so that there can be leaders that understand this and they can help you. Verse 21, furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God. So here we are. We have this establishment of men that fear God, that revere God, that follow God, that love God. Select them men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, 
And you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And then obviously this is how our justice system is set up here, right? You don't just, boom, go straight to the Supreme Court. There is a, uh, you know, a county court and so forth and, and things like that. And it progresses on and it builds on. It's, it's logical. It makes sense. It says, verse 23, If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, and fifties, of tens. They judged the people at all time. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. It makes a lot of sense. But notice he didn't say, hey, go get the best-looking guys that you can think of. Go ahead and count everybody's sheep their money, and why don't you get the richest people possible? Why don't you get the, why don't you just have a vote? Let's sew them together. Let's everybody vote for their leader. Well, those are not the qualifications that God wants. God desires men that love the word, that will teach his word, and will judge righteously and fairly. And so that's who Moses chooses. And this type of uh, foundational leadership carries throughout, all right, carries throughout, and then we get all the way to the church age. And we know the church age, Christ has ascended, right? The church is established. The book of Acts, we have the birth and the growth of the church, and you have men like Paul that are establishing churches in different cities. And flip over to Titus. Paul had taken a missionary journey to the island of Crete, and he had left Titus there. And he left him for the express purpose of appointing elders to provide oversight and leadership for the church. Look at this. Titus 1.5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you had set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then we understand the qualifications for these elders. It says for the, uh, sorry, namely if any man is above reproach. Now that is a, a high calling there, right? And it does not mean perfect. Or else you know what we would have? We would have no elders. But it's as if there's no case that can be brought against this man in relationship to these things that are going to be listed. The characteristics is godliness. It says the husband of one wife. So there's, there's purity there. There's loyalty there. There's devotion. But clearly, it's a man, and he's a husband, right? The husband of one wife. Now, you get into things like, well, do they always have to be married? Do you think Paul was elder qualified? As far as we know, Paul was never married. You think we have had elders and their wife has gone to be with the Lord. Do they get kicked off of the elder board? No, it's the, the qualification of that loyal devotedness to their spouse. Having children who believe. Now, this has been debated throughout the years, all right? 
we would hold to the stance that it's not saying that every child is saved. Because we don't have a, what do you call that thing? That you do this and you see, see things up close. Magnifying glass. So that we can look at their heart. Oh, yep, yep, I get it. I, I see he's saved, you're in. Or they'd have to wait to a certain age. It's the idea of they lead their household well. That none of their children bring shame or reproach to them. It, those that are responsive to the leadership of their father. It says those that are children that are not accused of dissipation or rebellion. That's what it means. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. And that's what it is. You see leadership as this is not my church. We are the body. Christ is the head. The elder board is simply the stewards that's taking care of what God has entrusted to them. So above reproach, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable. So there's the, the negatives. You can't be like this. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't struggle with those sins and commit them from time to time, but they're not ruled and they're not characterized by this. The flip side, they're hospitable. They're loving what is good. They're sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So there is the, the character qualifications, but there's also the gifting. The gifting comes from the Holy Spirit, and you have to be able to teach. Why? Why did Paul want Titus to stay and establish this type of leadership? Verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced... Because they are upsetting whole families. Teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. False teachers will arise from within the church. They will attack from without. They will try to devour the flock. So the elder must live the life. Study the word. Teach the word to equip the saints to do the work of service. That's what the elders there for. Those are the qualifications. I want you to flip over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is very similar. It helps clarify some of those things I mentioned before. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 1, is it a trustworthy statement? If any man aspires to the office of overseer. Now, overseer, elder, potato, potato. All right? Same thing here. It says it is a fine work he desires to do. So we learn something new about the elder. What must they do? You can read verse 1 silently to yourself again if you. Jackson? You're just holding up your finger to hold up your finger? Say what? It was just a thought? What? They, they have to want to do it. It says, if any man aspires, if they want to do it. So the church isn't just to go find someone they feel is qualified and say, come on, buddy, you're an elder. Whoa, 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 I, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't care. You're next. They actually have to want to do it because as cool as it sounds, I mean, the cool people are elders, right? 
as cool as it sounds to be an authority, to be an elder, there is a lot of time. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. There's a lot of uncomfortable conversations that you have to have with people. It's difficult. It, it's tiring. So someone not only has the characteristics, but they actually have to want to do it. There's some men that are qualified, and we've approached them before, and they've said, hey, look, at this, this phase in my life, I'm not ready to add that on. But one day, so you kind of hit the pause button, and you, you come back to them and all that fun stuff. It says, an overseer then must be above reproach. You saw that before. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one, and here we go. Remember that children who believe? All right. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church? So here, there's no mention of them having to have genuine saving faith. It's the same idea of they are not in rebellion or in dissipation. It says he must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So clearly, we see the elder. We see what the elder should look like. I want you to go to 1 Timothy 5. Oh, sorry. 1 Peter 5 is right there on the board. Peter, Timothy, not potato, potato. Different people, totally. One's writing the book. One's receiving the book. One starts with a T, one with a P. Therefore, I exert the elders among you. So it's not just Paul that came up with this elder thing. Here's Peter. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. So that's, that's what you get. A pastor, an elder, is a shepherd. It's a shepherd. Um, Daryl Bennett, who has gone on to be with the Lord, was on the elder board when I became an elder. And he had this little cartoon thing he gave all the new elders. And uh, it's, uh, I can't remember which one it was. It's the, it's the sheepdog thing, and it's a wily coyote or something like that. Craig would know. Um, one of those Looney Tunes or something like that. But it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a little cartoon clip of a sheepdog. And the idea was we are the sheepdogs watching over the flock, guiding them and protecting them. Exerc uh, sorry, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. You get this repetitive thing that keeps coming over and over again, right? Because the people work hard, and the people give to the church, and unfortunately, the wolves, when they're in charge, take from the sheep. They devour. I mean, how many, how many pastors and church leaders out there have, have pilfered money, and they got private jets and private islands and all of this stuff? They're not using the money for God's glory. We don't want that. But with eagerness, not yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory and says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Well, why does he say that? Well, as younger men, we puff up and, you know, that type of thing. And I know better and this and that. And 
be, be subject to them. And all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And now that's leadership and flock. We all need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves to the Lord. We need to love. We need to help. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So, at this point, you can't argue whether the church should have elders or not. Or you're arguing with all of these thought processes and descriptions. But when it comes back to each local church led plurality and godly qualified men, since we've walked through this, you can understand why each one of those is important. All right? For a time when we planted Northlake, do you know who Northlake's elder board was? Well, Dusty Burris is the pastor, right? He was an elder. Who was their elder board? We were the elder board, okay? And so Dusty would come to a meeting and he would say, Men, I, I have these potential people that want to be members. And we would go, yeah, we don't know any of them. What do you think? And he's like, well, I think they should be, yeah, let's go. All right, and, and there was a time, that's how it operated, okay? That's just the nature of the beast. Um, we had designated that once Northlake was financially able to um, carry their own finances and stuff like that, right? And when they had three elders, that we would no longer be their elder board. And so now they have uh, Drew Michael, Wade Grubbs, and Dusty Burris, and they are financially independent, which is awesome because they're taking care of their stuff there. We couldn't always peek in and peer in and give advice the way we should because it's not our flock that we see all the time, right? So each local church has this. And the leading, you can see, is a, is a humble servant speaking the Word of God, shepherding with the Word of God, pointing people to the Word of God. So our elders, uh, we have elders meetings twice a month on Thursday nights. Sometimes they start at 6 and they end at 11. Sometimes they start at 7 and they end never. And uh, we have a couple of different retreats and stuff like that. But uh, the elders teach Sunday school classes where they shepherd the people that are there. They have home fellowship groups or they're overseeing different ministries and stuff like that. And so we're not just like sitting on our thrones or something like, I don't have a throne. Uh, ruling from on high. You know, we're in and among and with the people and all of those things. And a plurality. As I mentioned before, what a, what a great protection that is. God's uh, made us all differently. We think differently. There's, there's sometimes, there's some in particular that will we'll look at an issue and we're like, what is he talking about? And by the end, we're like, wow, I'm so glad he said that. We never, we never would have thought of that. We never would have approached it that way. But there is a, a security and there's an accountability that we have with each other. And it's a great, great thing. And then godly qualified men. There's a, a vetting process that we go through. And then there's a, a putting them before the church process that we go through and all of those things. Um, you noticed on Sunday that Arnold is uh, now in his 30-day testing period on whether we add him as an elder. What do you think, Edwin? Okay, he's in, all right? Edwin says his dad is in, and he's an awesome man, would be a great fit. Uh, what other models are there? Because I know you're, you're like, well, is this a straw man argument? Are there really other churches that don't have this? 
Um, there's something called the Presbytery. And you can imagine what type of church has this. Yeah, the Presbyterians, you got it, all right? So you, you take that each local church idea, right? They have like a council or an assembly that oversees a number of churches. And so there's certain things that the church needs a decision on, and they don't have the final say or authority. They have to go to the presbytery. They have to go ask them. And as I mentioned before, maybe they know what's going on. Maybe they don't know what's going on. Um, I always say when someone wants something uh, changed around here, the wheels move slowly. They move slowly. You think of the DMV uh, in Zootopia, that sloth, not quite that slow, but it moves slowly. Well, imagine if it moves slowly here, and then you had to take it somewhere else, and they didn't really know what was going on, all right? But that's, that's one of the models that you see. Uh, there's also congregational-led, and that's just what it is, all right? Uh, we need a new pastor, so we're going to bring this guy in, and then we're going to hold a vote. And you got to get 60 to 40%, or you got to have 51 to 49, or something like that. Um, hey, we, we want to change the carpet. I don't want to change the carpet. Well, I do want to change the carpet. Da, 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 da. And then we get together, and, and then all of those things. And you're like, well, that's, that sounds kind of cool. Well, you have people that sometimes are not the, the most qualified to make some of those decisions, that are making those decisions, and they're driving that train. But it's also very difficult to kind of separate yourself and look at the, the big picture. Separate and look at the big picture. Okay? Uh, I think the high school group should have a, a ginormous budget. And we should spend all sorts of money. Like, yes. And the children's, building, uh, ch children's ministry is like, well, what, what, what about us? And we're like, hey, goldfish are cheap. You don't need any money. All right? So it's helpful to have someone else over and looking and leading and not just congregational led. Um, you also have what you would call like a corporate model. They, they want someone that's like a CEO. It's a business thing. So they would take the people that are successful at business and they would elevate them and promote them. Uh, they run the church like a business. It's, it's, church isn't a moneymaker, right? Um, but some, it really is a popularity contest. They vote. Hey, I think this guy would be a great elder. Well, I don't think he would, but let's vote. All right, he's in. So there's all sorts of models with it. I, I mentioned before when we were talking about um, church discipline, moving slow and stuff like that, my pastor friend in Lubbock, that he came in and it was congregational-led. But he was clear with them that if you hire me, we will have elders. And it took him five, six, seven years before they even installed their first elder. I, I didn't really understand all of these nuances when I, when I went off to college. So I went to that church and I'm like, this church is, is great. It's awesome. And then I'm like, wait, you don't have elders? What's wrong with you people? And that's one of the reasons why we left. But the pastor there disqualified himself because he was in control. And it was congregational lab, but he was dictating everything and he was doing shady things on the side. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's not what it's supposed to be. You know, we have, uh, we have a great elder board, a lot of great different personalities, and it's a, a wonderful blending, all right? And I know you're, you're sitting here and you're saying, well, what do, what do I do with this information, okay? How does this change? What do I change? Do I change nothing? Wh what do I do with it, all right? Well, the first thing I, I want you to do is aspire to the qualifications. And I know the ladies are like, you want me to be a man? No, I do not. I do not want you to be a man, okay? And what if you're not able to teach? Okay, well, you're not able to teach. But sometimes we look at it and we say, oh, yeah, the elder is supposed to be above reproach. 
The elder, they're not supposed to be addicted to wine. They're not, it's the elder. But those are all things that we should aspire to. And even though you may not be gifted to teach, you certainly should be a student of God's word. You should be a student of God's word. And those characteristics that are there, that should be what you want for your own life. What you aspire to. Um, look for churches that have this leadership. And this is very helpful when you're looking for a new church and you're evaluating. Do they have elders? How are they making their decisions? You know, uh, Rich Dewey, he was an elder. He went to Florida. He always talked about guarding against doctrinal drift. And that's something that stands out in my mind. We as an elder board stand against doctrinal drift. It's a very important thing. There are churches like... You think of the church at Ephesus. Are they still there? I mean, what happened to them? Eventually, doctrinal drift and on and on and on. But you want churches that have that leadership. Um, with this, what, what's the staff role in the leadership versus the elder role? Like when you talk about church leadership, what about someone like, you know, Daniel Schubert, who's the counseling pastor, but he's not an elder? Well, a, a pastor that works at the church is one that would be considered... Um, full-time because of their effort, energy, and teaching ability. And it's not all elders are what you would call a staff elder. They're what we call a lay elder. But Daniel Schubert is still in a role of leadership. For someone like him, or a Lance Burroughs, or a Joshua Scarborough, those types of guys, they share the characteristics and the qualifications of an elder. But we just don't zap everybody onto the elder board. It takes time to go through that process, all right? So yes, they are leaders, but they're not quote-unquote on the elder board in some of those voting things, but they're in the meetings with us because we want their insight and their perspective and stuff like that, all right? What about um, deacons? So deacons are, the word literally means servants, and they have very similar qualifications to an elder, except they don't have to be able to teach that's one of the differences there. And all of our deacons, right, they have a, a ministry that they oversee where they serve. I mean, anyone in this room, can you point to a deacon for our church? Yeah, all right, everyone point to Dale, all right? Dale's a, a deacon, all right? Joe Garcia, he is a deacon, all right? But they don't have to come to the meetings, except the October one. So put that on your calendar, all right? So they come to the October one, and they give us an update about the different things that they're doing. Uh, but they're not the elders. They are the deacons. Um, what about women in leadership? What about women in leadership? Uh, we have at our church what we call the women's leadership team. Get it? See how that works? And they share a lot of the similar characteristics um, that an elder would, but they're not women elders. They're not. They, they don't have to be able to teach uh, they get together and they talk about and they plan things. They talk about like the Titus 2 Bible study and, and what's the curriculum. And uh, they talk about events and they talk about different shepherding issues and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, um, you know I, I made my case and I said, guys, you know what? The women's leadership team, they need a pastor on their side. They need an elder to help oversee. And, and I will be that man. That's not how the meeting went. But I still, I still walked away from that meeting. I am the pastor elder that oversees the women's ministry. It's, 
you know, it's because I'm so gentle and stuff like that. I mean, that's just kind of what it is, all right? And the women's leadership team has done a wonderful job of cleverly poaching my youth leaders. So a lot of the leadership team, like Hannah and Mandy and Crystal and Jill, and what do you know? They're, they're youth leaders. We can go on and on, but these are godly women that are shepherding women, and they teach at our Titus 2, some of them do, and stuff like that. It's a wonderful thing. But their role is to lead and to have authority that the elders have given them to shepherd the ladies in our church. And they do a wonderful job with all of that. The third thing that I want you to do with this information is to submit to the elders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, we have a, we have a great relationship, right? The elders approve money for you to spend, and you spend that money, right? There's not a whole lot of things that you look at the elders and say, man, I can't believe you. But we did go through this, didn't we? When we went through the whole COVID thing. And can we meet? Can we not meet? And what's happening here? And summer camps here. That's kind of lame. And, you know, what about this? And all this. And, 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 you know, as an elder board, that was one of the most difficult times for us. Because I'm not a doctor. And I'm receiving information. And we're receiving and we're talking and we're deliberating. And there's sometimes that you're like, man, let's meet. Let's go. And the others are like, no, we have to stay home. And we're trying to, like, weigh out both of those. But I know when we said, hey, you're going to come to youth, but you got to sit like six feet apart from people, like the COVID won't magically fly farther than six feet, and you got to wear a mask and all of these things. But when you, it, a lot of it was trying to figure out what's going on. And that was one instance where it was really easy to kind of get upset with the elders, kind of get upset with them. And who knows what else the Lord may bring. But the idea is that the elders are doing it because they, they love you. They love you, all right? They want to put things in place, and they want to guide you. An extension of the elders, all right, good or bad, they hired me to shepherd you. And so when I put things in place, and when I ask you to do things, you are, by extension, Submitting to the elders when you submit. And I have recruited these fantastic, just like Moses couldn't do it all, right? All right? I found other people to paint the fence for me. I got all of these leaders over here that are godly qualified leaders that are loving and caring for you. And I ask you to listen to them. And I ask you when they ask you to do something to, to honor them. And that's kind of how some of these things come across and how they work, all right? There is a, a quality control from the elder board down that we want to extend into the rest of our ministry. And we ask that you trust us. We ask that you would obey, but we also ask that you'd pray for us. It's not an easy task. And there's temptations, and there's trials, and there's times that we fail. And we would covet your prayers. We actually have a, a ministry that... These ladies get together and they specifically pray for the elders. They pray for, you know, purity. They pray for our teaching. They pray for our families. They pray for protection. They pray for fruitful ministry. All of those things. And uh, you know how to navigate this thing called the internet. So you would know how to get to this page where you can see these different leaders. So this is our elder board right here. And... Cool side note, 
Gary Amack, former youth leader. Jonathan Anderson, former youth pastor. Brian Chandler, former youth leader. I think Tom's even done some youth stuff. Then you have Brandon has done youth ministry. I've dabbled in a little youth ministry, you could say. And one of my former youth leaders was Mr. Terry Tyler. And JT can tell you all about him. All right? So, strong, heavy youth leader emphasis on our elder board. Now, some of these men are retired. And so they have a little bit more time. Some of them still have full-time jobs. Uh, you know, Gary Amack worked for BNSF Railroad for a number of years. And uh, he has a great perspective on a lot of different things throughout. You know, uh, his son Trevor is one of our missionaries. Uh, Brian Chandler has worked in real estate. So what do you know? When it came to, like, purchasing land and when it came to, like, building projects and stuff, he was a huge benefit to that. Huge benefit. Oh, that does remind me. There are certain things that the elders do need the congregational approval so when we wanted to buy that wonderful student center over there, we couldn't just say, hey, look, we want to spend a couple million of your dollars. So if it's new land acquisitions or building projects like that, we bring it to the church. And there's also, if there's a, a change in the doctrinal statement, which is a safeguard for us so we just don't rewrite everything, we also bring that before the church to be voted on. All right, uh, Dwight Custis does a lot of financial stuff. So he helps run our finance committee and stuff like that. Uh, you know Daniel's father-in-law, Chaz Morse. Dr. Chaz Morse now, isn't it? Uh, in, it? Instrumental with all the work that he does for Institute for Creation Research. Uh, of course, you know Tom. Uh, Vikram runs our 128 ministry. Uh, Milt Powell actually works as a substitute teacher. Uh, he's, he likes to be a substitute math teacher. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> but this man loves it. And a lot of times he's spent it, at, you know, underprivileged schools, just pouring into people. All right. You know, Brandon, our, our college guy, and, you know, uh, Terry Tyler, who uh, is now the, the chair for this year. We rotate each year. There's a lay elder, not the staff elder, a lay elder that is the chair and kind of runs the meetings and stuff like that. So that's, that's our group of men. And you can go online, you can pick one a week, uh, you can pick one a month, whatever it might be, and, and you can pray for them. These men run home fellowships, they teach adult Sunday schools, um, there's difficult ch uh, counseling things that they walk through, alright? So there's a lot of different things on our plate. And the great thing is, even though we come from different demographics and different backgrounds and stuff like that, we are unified in Christ. We are unified in in the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? You also notice there's a wide age range when it comes to uh, the elder board, all right? Some are in their 70s. Uh, I think Brandon's, <laughs> I think Brandon's the youngest now. Uh, maybe he's 38, 36, something like that. Young pop, just a young baby, all right? Um, and I, the, it, it's neat to see the, you know, the different age range, the perspectives on those things. If you ever wonder who our deacons are and what they do, you can go online and you can see those. So there's lots of uh, wonderful people that y'all can, uh, you know, pray for. And uh, that would be a huge blessing to us as leadership. Okay? So, I know, this is not the most riveting, you know, like edge of your seat type of thing to talk about. But there's a lot to take away from it. For some of you men... We want you to learn and grow because one day us old people aren't going to be here. 
And so we need the next generation to step up in roles of leadership and to carry on so that there's no doctrinal drift. And so that's something that you should be working and growing towards, praying if the Lord would prepare you for that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, you are so good and gracious to us. We thank you for your, your love and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you so much for our elders that are here. I pray that you continue to give us wisdom and that we would do things your way and not our own way. You are a good and gracious God, and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.